Welcome to Socially Distant, Spiritually Close, a podcast dedicated to exploring the biggest spiritual questions of this complex and challenging moment. I'm your host, Rabbi Michael Knopf. We'll take a few moments to, uh, to, to study some Torah together. Uh, like I mentioned before, our parsha this week is a parsha Tazria Mitzvah, the double portion, uh, beginning with uh, chapter uh, uh, chapter uh, twelve of uh, Leviticus. Um, but chapter thirteen is really where the Torah portion uh, starts to uh, take off. Um, it's on page six hundred fifty-two in the Eitz Chaim Kumash. Uh, before we begin, let me let me just offer a blessing for studying Torah. Baruch Atah Adonai Eloheinu Melchalam. And so the portion begins, uh, uh, or this section of the portion begins, When a person has on the skin of his body a swelling, a rash, or a discoloration, and it develops into a scaly affection on the skin of his body, it shall be reported to Aaron the priest or to one of his sons, the priests. The priest shall examine the affection on the skin of his body if hair in the affected patches turn white and the affection appears to be deeper than the skin of his body. It is a leprous affection. It is sarat. When the priest sees it, he shall pronounce him impure. But if it is a white discoloration on the skin of his body, which does not appear to be deeper than the skin, and the hair in it has not turned white, the priest shall isolate the affected person for seven days. On the seventh day, the priest shall examine him. And if the affection has remained unchanged in color and the disease has not spread on the skin, the priest shall isolate him for another seven days. On the seventh day, the priest shall examine him again. If the affection has faded and has not spread on the skin, the the priest shall pronounce him pure. It is a rash. He shall wash his clothes and he shall be pure. But if the rash should spread on the skin after he has presented himself to the priest and has been pronounced pure, he shall present himself again to the priest. And if the priest sees that the rash is spread on the skin, the priest shall pronounce him impure. It is sarat. It is leprosy. So uh, to to join me in discussing this uh, parsha today, I've uh, invited uh, fitting for a, a medical parsha. We need a uh, medical expert to uh, to join with us. I'm very uh, honored and, and privileged to uh, welcome uh, our uh, dear friend uh, Gary Goldberg uh, to uh, to join us uh, for uh, a discussion of this parsha. We have a portion this week um, uh, that has uh, you know a lot of parallels and a lot of connections to the to, to the moment in, in which we're living. Um, you know, we have we have illness. Uh, we have uh, the prescription of uh, of isolation and, and social distancing. Uh, we have you know the the anxiety of of the ill and the and, and the clear anxiety of the community, um, which leads to uh, some of these uh, uh, pronouncements. So I'm wondering, in in your minds, as you uh, as you look through the Torah portion this week. Um, what connections uh, do you see between uh, what we're reading in Torah portion and the uh, moment in which we're living? 
uh, and what insights might uh, the portion have uh, for us as we navigate this moment. Feel free to unmute yourself and share your thoughts. Rabbi, can you hear me? I can hear you, Gary. Can you, can you hear me? Yes, I can. Uh, my internet's been a little unstable, so. I mean, I think one of the questions is, uh, you know, what parallels can we form between what we're currently experiencing and um, what the Torah tells us about this uh, condition called Sarat. And um, I, I mean, I think one common thing is the idea of isolation, of removal of oneself from the community um, so that one can recover oneself, but also so that one does not distribute or, or communicate the disease um, to others. Um, and rather than a physician coming in, you've got the Kohen coming in uh, to do the testing. Um, and the Kohen comes back every seven days or so to uh, continue to do the testing um, and, and check on how the person is doing. Um, I think one of the questions is, you know, what parallels can we form between Sarat as it's described in um, and uh, the COVID uh, virus that we're experiencing. Um, and certainly the idea, the, the early rabbis thought that this was some type of a communicative uh, infection uh, because of the idea of isolation. Um, so there's, there's some uh, concepts there uh, that I think run in parallel. Hmm. Uh, you know, it's interesting because I, 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 I usually, you know, uh, encounter this Torah portion and say to myself, you know, wow, removing the person from the community because of an illness, like that seems pretty draconian. Um, and, you know, yet here we are in a moment where that's, you know, uh, precisely the, um, the uh, prescription that, that we're given, um, you know, both, and I, uh, now I, I, you know, have, have kind of experienced this, uh, um, I guess, secondhand, you know, uh, which is that, you know, my, my uh, uncle uh, had uh, this illness and, uh, was uh, in, in in the hospital for several weeks in in Florida. Um, just thankfully got out of the hospital. One of the few I, I understand. I, I heard a statistic the other day that something like over eighty percent of patient COVID patients who are put on ventilators end up dying. So he's one of the few uh, who uh, was put on a ventilator and then was able to come off the ventilator um, after a certain point. So now he's he's headed to rehab and seems to be on the men, which is, which, which I'm grateful for. Um, but, uh, but, but nevertheless, what I, what I see in this, you know, it happened, you know, when, uh, um, when, when Alan Zim of, of blessed memory, uh, died, uh, that, you know, that, that the, it is draconian in a way, right. That, uh, that there is isolation prescribed for the one who is ill. Um, and it means that they have no access to, to community or to family and, and the community and family has no access to them. Uh, but in our time, there's even something even uh, uh, more significant. Maybe the um, in, in biblical times, they didn't know about this in terms of communication of illness. They, you know, presumed that by isolating the ill person, that would solve the problem. They didn't see a, a wider kind of community spread and, and prescribe social isolation for the entire community. So I guess my question to you, Gary, is um, do you still was I wrong initially in thinking about this Torah portion, the prescriptions in the portion as draconian um, or, um, uh, uh, or is this, uh, is this actually describing, you know, was, was the Torah ahead of its time uh, and, and uh, prescribing, you know, kind of best practice that we should learn from. 
I think it was, you know, ahead of its time in that sense. I mean, um, that, you know, this, this idea of going into isolation and, and, you know, what it does for the person, what it does for the community and how there's a shared responsibility there between the one who's infected and the community itself. Um, so there's the idea of self-protection when you are not infected, but are, you know, uh, avoiding the infection. And then there's the issue of being infected and not infecting others. Um, but I think, you know, one of the, one of the questions is, you know, there's just this whole idea of what is the purpose uh, in, and what, what do we, how do we take, what message do we take away from this idea of isolation? Um, you know, um, it really is a period of quiet, right? That, you know, we have a chance to reflect, review our own behaviors and a time to introspect about our lives and also to think ways that we could potentially change things to, for the better. Um, and, uh, you know, I mean, the other aspect of this is the question of, um, you know, whether this was related in some way to Lashon Hara, to the, the idea of um, inflicting wounds on others through the process of language. Um, yeah, I wanted, I, wanted to, I wanted to ask you about that. You know, so as I mentioned before, uh, rabbinic tradition uh, ascribes this uh, affliction uh, uh, to, uh, to being a punishment for, for Lashon Hara. So what do you make of that teaching and uh, how do you relate to that? Well, I mean, you can sort of view Lashon Hara as a contagious disease. Um, that is, once one person starts to do it and get and manages to get away with it, and and um, that it can pervade the community fairly rapidly. And what it does is, I mean, the the sages tell us that not only is the person who does this involved, but the person who's subjected to it is involved, and the person who's receiving that information is also. There's three parties to this. To this process, um, and it involves that you know that direct contact through language, um, which we continue to have under these circumstances, given the the digital age that we live in. And um, I think you know uh, Rabbi Sachs in his um, weekly Devar Torah talks about how Lashon Hara under the into the conditions in which we live, where you know we have social media, um, it, it effectively is amplified as a problem. Um, you know, we can benefit from the opportunities that we have to be in touch with each other as we are right now, um, but that same power to uh, communicate to large numbers of individuals um, through the digital media can also be uh, uh, a corrupting influence and can also be a very negative uh, influence on others. Um, and we know about, you know, some of the problems that have resulted when people are attacked online and uh, take those attacks personally. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, you know, I, I can tell you someone who's experienced that uh, uh, personally, uh, that, um, that that it can be you know um, incredibly consuming and uh, and, and and destructive. Uh, I just went back with with Adira the other night, watched the Social Network, which is uh, which is now available on Netflix. 
um, you know, the, the uh, David Fincher movie um, uh, about uh, the origins of Facebook and, and Mark Zuckerberg. Um, if you haven't seen it, it's an incredible movie to the general audience out there. Uh, and it may be one of the best movies of, of the last, you know, um, uh, of, of the last uh, decade. Um, and, uh, and, and one of the things that one of the characters says in it is that, you know, the internet is written in pen, right? Uh, that, uh, that, that, you know, once words are out there uh, in this digital landscape, they can't really be taken away. And, and that to me is actually, um, you know, that kind of reflects uh, an old rabbinic legend around, uh, around speech in general, right? That, that once our words leave our mouths, Right, the, the rabbis say it's like a like a you know a um, when a warrior releases an arrow, um, they can't pull the arrow back once it's been released. And the same with our words, that they're like arrows, right? And once they come out of our mouths, we can't uh, easily take them mm -hmm. back. Um, and there's that there's that powerful legend about the rabbi with the pillowcase, uh, and uh, uh, um, uh, someone uh, had uh, engaged in an act of lashon hara and says, "How can I make up for it?" And the rabbi kind of like throws all the feathers from the pillow out the window uh, and says, go and collect all of these scattered feathers and put them back in the pillowcase. And the man says, you know, that's acknowledges that that's impossible. So the same thing is true with our speech, that, uh, that, that once words leave our mouths, um, we, we no longer truly have control over them and they can take on a life of their own. Exactly. I mean, the, the um, just to quote uh, Rabbi Sachs, he says, I believe we need the laws of Lashon Hara now more than ever before um, because the language of politics has become ad hominem and vile. We seem to have forgotten what Tazria and Mitzorah are here to remind us about, that evil speech is equivalent to a plague. Um, it destroys relationships. It rides roughshod over people's feelings. It debases the public square. It turns politics into a jousting match between competing egos. And it defile, defiles all that is sacred about our common life. And the fact is it need not be like that. That speech actually can be used to build others up, to praise others. Um, he, he points out <clears throat> uh, another movie <laughs> that some people may have seen um, and how it exemplifies the power of good speech. And that movie is, uh, is the one that starred Tom Hanks called Won't You Be My Neighbor about Fred, Fred Rogers, right? Where the journalist who comes to, to, to do the piece on him has some pretty difficult problems. Um, and uh, we find out that, uh, that no one else wanted to be interviewed by this individual because they knew that they would probably be torn limb from limb um, because that was his tendency to critique the people he interviewed. Um, but Fred Rogers intentionally chose to be, uh, to be interviewed by this person because he felt that there was an opportunity there to assist and help with language and with attention you know, that we give each other. And I think that's the power of relationship of human relationship um, that, you know, unfortunately, I mean, we have some of that, but we don't have the face-to-face -face component right now. And I think mo many of us um, are, are really uh, missing and suffering because of that, you know, that touch, that face-to-face that, that -face involvement with, uh, with our friends and with our, our, our family. Um, on the other hand, I think, you know, what, what, uh, what Judaism teaches us is that even in the worst of times, there is hope. There is hope for healing. Um, 
And uh, I was just reading in a little book called The Kabbalah of Time about the month of ER. So the month of ER is uh, known as a month of healing. As it turns out, it's formed by the Hebrew letters Aleph, Yud, and Resh, which serve as an acronym for the verse Ani Hashem Refecha. Oh, I, wow. am, I am God, your healer, in which each word begins with one of these three letters. So the <laughs> idea being that, you know, while we are in the, the midst of the Omer, which right. is traditionally a time, you know, when th there, we have suffered afflictions over the, over the aeons. Um, well, right. It's a, the, the Omer period uh, traditionally is understood as, as uh, commemorating a time when Rabbi Akiva's students uh, perished from a plague that, that, that ravaged uh, through his academy. And one of the reasons rabbinic tradition ascribes to that plague is that they were um, profoundly unkind and disrespectful uh, toward each other. Uh, and uh, and so it's 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 so perfect for this parsha and for that uh, that that beautiful understanding of ER um, about uh, about this being a time um, of of uh, of seeing the consequences of, um, of of harming each other through speech and of um, of of illness uh, and looking toward what possibilities um, are in our tradition to be uh, healers and and among the healed. Exactly. I mean, I think one of the things to look at, for example, thinking about your uncle, is, you know, the issue of rehabilitation, which is my personal field, right? That people who have survived this have survived with some, you know, residual uh, uh, issues. And I've been in touch with some of my colleagues, uh, one of my young colleagues in, uh, in New York City at uh, Cornell University Medical Center, his inpatient rehab unit is now 60% survivors of COVID. Um, they've basically, you know, um, the, the issue is that there is opportunity, you know, for recovery, there's opportunity for reconnection, for healing. And I think that, you know, from a rehab perspective, um, you know, obviously the mortality is a huge issue and a huge concern, but there is also, you know, the, the hope for survival and the hope recovery and the hope for rehabilitation and a return you know to normal living but with the experience of having been through this and I think one of the issues that we all have to ask ourselves is you know what are we hoping to learn from this experience in terms of you know how we may see things differently how we may come out of this with a different orientation and a different insight into the meaning of life, into the meaning of relationships, into the meaning of how we treat each other um, in the public uh, domain, and um, you know how we uh, learn to live together, to coexist in harmony, um, and and respect. Right? I mean, the rabbis of the Talmud were constantly arguing. That's the nature. That's the nature of Judaism is to argue, right? I mean, we argue, but there's the idea of a machloket l'shem shemayim, the idea that we argue for the sake of elevating each other, so that we each gain insight, right? And then there's the whole idea of arguing for the sake of denigrating the other, of right. knocking the other down, 
And that's Lashon Hara. You know, and we have, language can go in both directions. We have that opportunity, the free will that we have ourselves and how we choose to speak to each other, how we choose to treat each other, um, you know, has consequences. Yeah, I think that's beautiful. I think that, you know, one takeaway that I have uh, from, from what you just shared is, you know, how can we use our language, even if it's in the context of, uh, of debate and argument, how do we use our language to build rather than destroy? And if we have, our, you know, if we have argument for building rather than for tearing down, if we speak to one another for building one another up um, uh, rather than tearing each other down, what, you know, how different would our, would our society, would our world uh, look like? And, I, and, you know, I see in, in, this, in this moment, you know, we have this kind of unique uh, a situation where it's not so much that uh, that that language um, is the is the you know the that the illness is the punishment for the language that we use, but we have this kind of toxic brew where we have um, the kind of language that we have become accustomed to using while this uh, illness is happening, and that includes uh, uh, you know dishonest um, and disinforming language uh, that uh, that that can um, exacerbate uh, the, the the spread and the deadliness of, of illness too. Um, so being mindful of how uh, we use our language to uh, to build rather than tear down is, I think, uh, a really worthy uh, takeaway from the Parsha and, and from this moment. I want to take a, a moment, uh, Gary, if it's okay, and uh, invite others to join the conversation. Uh, if you have a, a question or a comment or a thought, um, please feel free to uh, unmute yourself and, and share. Question. Is it possible that in um, Lashon Hara, they could be talking not just about the physical act of speaking about someone, but the idea of judging them and maybe even judging ourselves and using these judgments as the way we see and the way we communicate and the sickness not being just physical sickness, but spiritual sickness, where we're just ruled by these judgments and kind of in this place of putting someone down to bring ourselves up? Gary, you have thoughts about that? Well, I guess what I would say about it is, um, you know, I think that that you know the, the words that we say, the the voices that we hear, are not only external but internal, right? We have an internal uh, dialogue or monologue, right? And and for some of us, that that can be um, a really extremely harsh uh, inner critic um, and an unfair inner critic. Um, and so I would say that 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 the same thing that I just said about our speech is true of our inner speech, right? So. So are our words building up or are they destroying or are they tearing down, right? And so is that inner voice something that is, you know, because I think that a, a, a good internal critic, good internal self-judgment is not always a bad thing, right? It's good to be reflective um, and, to, uh, and to have a sense of how could I be doing this better, right? Uh, whether this, this is a particular task or, or life, right? Um, I don't think that's always, you know, as blanket statement bad, um, but I do think that we should be mindful of ourselves, you know, have a, have a judge of our judge, right? Um, of saying, you know, are, you know, is this voice inside, is this, is this a voice that's ripping me down, ripping me apart, or is it a voice that's, that's building me up and lifting me up to become a, a better version of, of who I am? And I think that that's subtle and it might be different for, for each person. It also, you know, relates to the, the external voices that we've heard throughout our lives. You know, many of us had parents that were very, you know, harsh critics, right? Those were the, the, the words that we heard. Sometimes those words um, uh, were, were, were not upbuilding, but were, 
um, were, were destructive. Um, so, so I think that it's different for every person. Everybody it comes, you know, with a different, um, you know, set of, uh, of, of experiences and, and, you know, a psychological brew that, uh, that, that can make that calculation different. Um, but I do think that, you know, just as we think about words outside of us and voices outside of us, we should think about um, our inner voices too. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, self-love is as just as important as other love. I mean, you you need to feel confident in yourself in order to you know to exert that yourself on the world in, in a beneficial way. Um, but I think ultimately, I mean, we have to understand that we have control as agents only over our own behavior. You know, we can't force others to be different. Um, we can only encourage them and show them uh, examples of, you know, of how to behave based on how we behave in the conduct that we choose for ourselves. Thank you, Thank I you had, Jenna. What? Go ahead, Rita. <laughs> I had sort of a different point that goes back to your initial question when you started off um, or your initial reaction prior to the current situation of thinking, is the isolation in the terror portion draconian? Um, you weren't misusing, but I think a lot of people right now who are using the term draconian actually misuse it. Right. Draconian doesn't mean harsh or strict. It means excessively harsh or strict. So not consistent with facts, circumstances, right. the good of the person in the whole. And, and I think that's a question we have to ask about all kinds of isolation that we impose. Two examples, uh, this week is my mom's yurt site. She um, contracted polio in the last epidemic before the vaccine came out. And not based on medical facts, but based on fear, like in the AIDS epidemic in the early days, there was all kinds of misinformation and people isolated, not just her, but my three and four-year-old sisters, um, my father, and it was harmful and hurtful and not supported by facts. And in the same way, we isolate people in all kinds of different ways, right? We may isolate them in terms of the homeless and the way we isolate is by turning away or the poor or, you know, all kinds of different circumstances and the question becomes why are we isolating does it do good or does it do harm is it supported or not and if it's isolation because we don't want to deal with it we don't want to see it um, or we have baseless fear then it's draconian <laughs> Yeah, I, I think that those are, are really uh, uh, excellent points and really powerful examples. And I think that, that you know, that, that I think speaks to the wisdom of uh, the Torah and of rabbinic tradition that, uh, that it conflates uh, or, or um, you know, fuses this uh, conversation about contagion um, with a conversation about, uh, about language, right? And language also includes uh, uh, honesty and truthfulness, and uh, and, and speaking, you know, from uh, from from knowledge and, and from experience, or 
or uh, you know making decisions for the community that uh, don't have the community's welfare in mind. Uh, you know, the, the, there's a lot of care and concern in this floor abortion, right? It's e easy to, you know, and I, and, and, uh, I think that I was probably incorrect in, you know, past, in the past when I look at this portion and say, you know, this is pretty draconian, um, because throughout there is an intimacy and a concern that the Torah yes. has with the person who is afflicted um, and with the community at large, right? That the, the priest is intimately um, attending to the, the ill person. Um, and um, I think that the, you know, the, the, the unstated uh, mindset of that's, that's underlying all of this is the, is the uh, broader community's welfare in addition to the welfare of the person who's afflicted. Um, and so I think that that's really, really important to, to bear in mind um, as, we, as we think about this portion and also how what we think about uh, our, our own circumstances, right? That, um, you know, that, that, that the, the difficulty uh, that many of us are experiencing in this moment um, is, um, is, you know, is uh, for productive good um, and out of, uh, out of an, a broader concern of, of the welfare and well-being of, of individuals in the wider community, and especially, to Rita's point, you know, those who are most vulnerable, the, the, you know, the, the, those who are already, um, you know, predisposed to illness, the elderly, the infirm, uh, and the, the unhoused, the poor, who, who uh, are most vulnerable and, and uh, most exposed uh, to, uh, to, to, um, to contagious illness, you know, because they don't have the same security uh, systems that, uh, that, that uh, many of us are blessed to have. There's one other interesting thing about, about what the Torah describes in terms of the process, which is the return of the person to the community. That's not just a simple, I'm coming back now, right? There is a process and a, a ceremony eff effectively for that, allowing that person to come back, which is not, which Rita's point brings up, I mean, which is the issue of stigma and the stigma that's attached to the person who's been affected, not necessarily of their own, you know, for their, any reason, negative reason, you know, that they've become ill, but now is a time when they need to return to the community once they've been cleared as, you know, having, no longer having the disease by the Kohen. You don't just say, okay, go back there. Right. You, you actually go through a process of cleansing and of, um, you know, of, of reintroducing reentry, yeah. re exactly. That that process of reentry gives not only the person themselves a sense of honor and respect, self-respect, but also the, the community, you know, feels safe in this person coming back to them. Yeah, and that, that's a good maybe uh, uh, segue from this conversation, just to end with, with, uh, with, with that prayer that, uh, that we begin to think about um, what, what is the ritual that we are going to want to have as a congregation, as a community, um, when we are uh, able once again to, uh, to, to uh, re-enter each other's presence? Uh, when we are able to, what's the ritual? How do we want to mark that moment? That's maybe a good uh, kind of kavana uh, and, uh, and challenge uh, for us to, uh, to, to continue to think about. So uh, Gary, thank you so much. Uh, for your, your wisdom and your insight uh, about this portion and uh, about our current situation. Um, and thanks to uh, everybody for, thanks to everybody for your, uh, for your insights and your questions and 
and your participation. We'll conclude with uh, with a blessing. Baruch Atah Adonai Eloheinu Melech Haolam Asher Natan Lanu Torat Evmet Vechaye Olam Natav Etochenu Baruch Atah Adonai Noten HaTorah. This has been Socially Distant, Spiritually Close with Rabbi Michael Knopf. I hope that this episode has helped you find a little faith and hope, enrichment and uplift during this complex and challenging time. If you haven't already, please subscribe on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. That way you won't miss an episode. Please also rate and review us on your podcast platform of choice so that others will have an easier time finding us and joining in the conversation. Socially Distant, Spiritually Close is recorded during virtual gatherings of my congregation, Temple Bethel in Richmond, Virginia. Socially Distant, Spiritually Close is produced by Dr. Gillian Frank. Our theme music is composed and produced by Stephen Frost. Our cover art was designed by Judith Russian using a photograph by Miriam Aniel. I have been your host, Rabbi Michael Knopf. Until next time, take care of yourselves and each other.